Will this world come to an end? Uh, nobody doubts that it will come to an end. The main debate is, is how. Uh, cosmologists will tell us that the sun will eventually run out. It'll be about five billion years, they reckon. But that only gives us about a billion years of, of life left on the planet by the time this sun expands to being a red star and, and mops up a few of the planets closest to it. And of course, in between that time, uh, some have suggested that a huge meteor could come out of deep space, smash into the planet, cause enough dust to envelop the whole Earth, kill all living plants, and we'd be cooked. We'd be done. So that's one possibility. Ecologists warn of the effects of global warming, and maybe we're just going to all end up um, dying in our pollution. Agriculturists have warned that um, there's only so many harvests left. They've calculated there's only about 100 harvests left in British soil because of our intensive farming techniques. And the, the question is, well, can we, can we feed all the people, the, the growing population in the world? Stephen Hawkins has suggested that perhaps if we continue to grow in our technological abilities, uh, we, we might create genuine artificial intelligence and usher in some sort of um, Terminator-type future where the machines decide that they don't need us. Medical experts have talked about the possibility of some pandemic, some Ebola-type virus just going worldwide and killing millions. And in the week that North Korea launched an intercontinental uh, ballistic missile that could theoretically have a nuclear payload, then the, the, the possibility of this of mutually assured destruction of, a, of, of the world ending in some big radioactive mushroom cloud is, is throwing its head up again. I mean, how will it end? Everyone, everyone's agreed it's going to end. How is it going to end? Now, how does, how does this make you think? What, do you ever consider this? My guess is that most of us don't think about it very much. Uh, we're glad that some scientists are kind of working out some new treatments for medicines. We, are, uh, we see some internet billionaires trying to work out how to make some reusable rockets so that we can uh, launch maybe some missions where we can begin to populate other planets as an emergency. Uh, governments are setting targets about reducing um, CO2 levels and other uh, gases that are harmful to the, to the ozone. Volvo announced that they're going to only produce engines with some electric bits. France have said 2040, no more internal combustion engines. Well, these are some things that people are trying to do. But in the end, I guess most of us are just shrugging our shoulders and going, well, it's a long way off. And it doesn't affect us. We, we basically assume there's always going to be a tomorrow. But what if there isn't always going to be a tomorrow? Now, Jesus pitched into this debate about 2,000 years ago, and what he taught his disciples is either completely crazy or it's completely true and life-transforming. He taught that history as we know it is going to come to an end as he returns to bring in the kingdom of God. Now, we've been working through Matthew chapter 24 and 25 where his teaching is recorded and you might want to open your Bibles to page 993 if you've got one of the church Bibles. Matthew chapter 24, page 993. Perhaps this is your first Sunday here, so let me give you a quick recap 
of, of what we've considered uh, in recent weeks. If you just have a look at chapter 24 and verse 30. Matthew chapter 24, verse 30. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Jesus, picking up language from the book of Daniel, describes his return. And he speaks of it as a day which will cause both mourning for some, but great joy for others. And this is what Christians have believed right down the centuries. We sang the words of the creed that's taken from the Apostles' Creed, formulated in the 4th century as a summary of biblical teaching. It's something that Christians have been singing and saying for uh, a lot of time. Uh, these creedal statements, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. Well, chapter 24 and 25 record what Jesus taught about this. And really, he's explaining to his disciples, well, how to live in the light of his coming, living in between his first coming and his second coming. And here's a brief summary of what, what he's taught so far. Uh, throughout this time, there will be turmoil, constant turmoil in world events. Wars, rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes. But the point is we shouldn't get too worked up about these as if these are the last moments uh, of the last days. Throughout this time there will be false teachers, false prophets, pseudo-messiahs seeking to distract Christians. And so it has been. But we should refuse to be distracted, Jesus says, but keep preaching and telling people the good news about him that he would suffer and die in order to bring salvation then his death upon a cross is a way that our sins can be forgiven that we can be made right with God and then he would be raised from the dead he predicted his own crucifixion and his resurrection and it happened just as he said Jesus predicted the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem and that happened just as he said in AD 70 and he said that he would be returning to wrap up history he's got a pretty good track record so far and this return would not be some secret kind of spiritual return into the hearts of people but a physical visible unmistakable return that everyone would know about and it would come suddenly and unexpectedly look at uh, verse 37 of chapter 4 uh, 24 24 verse 37 As it was in the days of Noah, so it'll be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. Life will just keep rolling on, apparently, just as it always has. They, they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. This is how it'll be at the coming of the Son of Man. 
Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. It'll be a day that'll be sudden, it'll be unexpected, there'll be a great divide between people on that day. And the consistent application for these chapters is essentially this, be prepared. We should live our lives with the expectancy of the return of Christ. The final judgment of God, and then the life eternal that will follow it will come at a time we don't expect. Like a thief who burgles your house when you don't expect it. This happened to us while we were on holiday. The rotters. If we'd known they were coming, we would have uh, taken extra precautions. Perhaps we would have hired some heavies to stay in the house and greet them with baseball bats, but we didn't know they were coming. And we were burgled. That's what it's going to be like, the coming of the Son of Man, suddenly coming like that. Keep watch because you don't know the day that your Lord will come. And then we've got this parable in chapter 25, which we're going to consider today, which has more to teach us about being prepared for Christ's return. So let me read the first 13 verses of chapter 25, which we're going to examine this morning. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Now, there's a few cultural differences, aren't there, between uh, wedding days today and, and, and weddings back then in the first century. For us, the whole thing, it seems to me, centers on the bride, doesn't it? Everyone talks about what the bride was wearing. Nobody about the bridegroom. Oh, he wore a lovely suit. He had a little flower just there. No, no one cares about the bridegroom. It's all about the bride, isn't it? It's the big moment when the bride arrives. I was, uh, I was best man at um, one wedding where the bride had still not turned up 20 minutes after the official start. The groom and I turned to the future mother-in-law who mouthed, she's not coming. <laughs> but she grinned enough so we weren't too anxious. But in the first century, all the focus is on the arrival of the bridegroom. 
after the two families had uh, agreed terms, there was a formal betrothal, betrothal ceremony where they were treated as if they were married, and yet they didn't live together. The bride stayed at her parents' house while the bridegroom went off and got his life sorted, getting somewhere to live, sorted out the feast day and all of that. And then on the big day, the bridegroom went from his house to collect his bride from her parents' house. And there would be some ceremony there. And then there would be a, a, a long procession that would meander through all the villages with, with a whole party of friends as they made their way to the bridegroom's house and the great banqueting feast, the, the wedding feast. And uh, if, you, uh, if you're poor, it might be a day or two. If you are rich, you could be feasting for up to a week. Imagine that. And the story is about the ten bridesmaids. Now, it's not altogether clear to me exactly what bridesmaids are supposed to do in our culture. Uh, I think they're supposed to attend to the bride in some way. Uh, they sort of process in, don't they? Their, their job is to look pretty, but not too pretty. Bad, bad form to outshine the bride, isn't it? Now, in their culture, their job was to wait for the bridal procession somewhere along the journey and join in and provide some nighttime lights where appropriate. Probably oil-soaked uh, rags on a stick that would be lit on the final part of the journey as they, as they head to the wedding feast at the bridegroom's house. So the bridesmaids are quite a simple job, really. Be ready, provide nighttime illumination. Quite straightforward, isn't it? And um, unfortunately, out of the ten bridesmaids, ten, uh, five were wise, five were foolish. The sensible ones each brought extra oil in a little uh, container so that uh, they knew that you know, these processions could take a long time. The five not-so-sensible were not prepared. And it did take a lot longer than it anticipated, didn't it? And verse 5 seems to be one of the points of this story. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. So what is it that this parable adds to the teaching so far that Jesus has given? He, we've stressed the sort of the suddenness, the unexpectedness of it so far. But it seems this is a crucial parable because Jesus' teaching that while he is definitely coming, there should be an expectation of delay. You see, this talk of Jesus coming back has been mocked down through the years. Uh, even as the New Testament writers were writing, 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter says scoffers will come scoffing, because that's what scoffers do, isn't it? They will come scoffing and saying, where is this Jesus that you talk about who's coming back? Well, these parables teach us to expect delay. Earlier in chapter 24, verse 14, the wicked servant says, my master is staying away a long time. In the next parable, after a long time, it says the master of the servants returned in verse 19. And here the bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. Jesus taught us that there would be delay. But he was definitely coming. And so we should be prepared for that delay and still be ready. Now down through the history, uh, there have been different groups uh, who've got... Uh, convinced that they knew exact times when Jesus was coming back. If you read the history of the Jehovah's Witnesses, you'll see about six or seven 
uh, definite dates. Other Christian groups have come up with other definite dates and people got very frothy and excited about it and, and they even sold houses and properties and, 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 and people have got into all sorts of weirdness because as we looked at a few weeks ago, Jesus has made it clear that no one would know the date or the time. I suppose if you did know the date and time, you would do some of those things, but we don't know, and so we're called not to live in a sort of a frothy emotional state where we're paralyzed to make any decisions for the future. That's not what Jesus wanted. But he does tell us, expect delay, live strategically, but keep watch. We don't know, verse 13, the day or the hour. Now this command to keep watch is not a call to insomnia. It's not like, oh, I've got to stay awake all the time because he could come back any moment. It's not a call to insomnia. The forbids going to sleep at night. Notice all the bridesmaids fell asleep and there was absolutely no problem at all for the five who were prepared. Because in this story, the only difference really between the wise and the foolish bridesmaids is their preparedness for this long delay. The shout rings out at midnight. Here comes the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. And they all stir. But only five had that extra oil so that the lamps would keep burning bright. We almost wanted to sing, give me oil in my lamp, but we, we couldn't bring ourselves to do it. The next part does seem a bit stingy, doesn't it? The foolish five, let's call them the foolish five, Without the extra supplies, ask the five wise girls, give us some of your oil, our, our lamps are going out. And the answer is, no. If we give you some of our oil, then um, all our lamps could go out before we get to the bridegroom's house, and that would be a complete washout. Go and buy yourself some nighttime supplies. And while the foolish five go out to buy some oil, the bridegroom bridegroom turns up, the procession moves on to the house, they all make it into the house and the door is shut. And by the time the foolish five make it to the house, they're shut out. They're not allowed into the wedding feast. Even as they bang on the door asking to be let in, they hear the bridegroom's voice, I don't know you. It is a very sobering parable. Three things for application for us today. Firstly, foolish people know about the second coming, but don't prepare. Perhaps this is all new to you. You've never heard anybody talk about the return of Jesus Christ. You've never acknowledged your sin to God. You've never put your trust in his son, Jesus, to be forgiven. Can I say to you, please do something about that today. I don't think you're here today by accident. I think the God who made everything and made you, he loves you. And you're here today because he's at work in your life. And that's amazing because perhaps you spent most of your life ignoring him. Mocking him, maybe just using the name of his son as a swear, as a curse. But you know, there is a way today that you can be forgiven, that you can be washed clean, 
of the guilt and shame that you carry. There's a possibility of a fresh start today by turning to Jesus Christ and putting your trust in him. He came the first time to bring about this salvation that restores us into relationship with God through this purposeful sacrifice of himself on a cross. And he will return as the judge to gather up the forgiven people to the biggest party of all. But those who've spent their lives rejecting him, rejecting his invitation, will be eternally shut out from his kingdom into everlasting regret and judgment. Uh, on holiday, we uh, were in a place where they had British TV and we watched with horror the events of the Grenfell Tower disaster. And, you know, within hours, uh, those who had made it out were saying and, and, and saying to the cameras and asking, why weren't there fire alarms? in every flat. Why, why, why weren't people going and knocking on the door and telling people immediately to get out? Why were people not warned? And what I want to say to you with utmost seriousness this morning is that you have been warned. You cannot leave this morning and say you've not heard. The fool is the person who knows but does not prepare for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Secondly, being prepared is up to you. Nobody can do it for you. Just as those bridesmaids who had the oil couldn't share it. No one can be prepared for you. Maybe you've heard about this many times in the past. Maybe you've attended churches where it's been taught. Maybe you've been coming along here for ages and you've sat and listened to all this. And actually, to be honest, some of it is just bouncing straight off you. I want to say to you today, each one of us have to examine ourselves. Are we genuinely people who are trusting Jesus Christ and looking forward to his return? Are we prepared? Are we forgiven? It's not about whether you've been a good person, a kind person, whether you've uh, um, been religious, whether you've been charitable. It's are you right with God? Have you been forgiven by trusting Jesus Christ alone? Are you living with expectancy? If you hear the trumpet sound... Christ returns. Will you be rejoicing because this has been the, the moment you've been looking forward to? Or will this be a terrible disappointment because it's going to get in the way of your life that you've been pursuing that has nothing to do with Christ? And then that sudden moment of horror, you realize that I've been wasting my life. I've been focusing my energies on all the wrong stuff. Are you prepared? It's not enough that your friends are prepared. It's not enough that your spouse is prepared. Are you prepared? Thirdly, living and dying unprepared shuts you out from the kingdom of heaven. I think the, wor the words of verse 12 are so haunting 
See, the bridesmaids knew the bridegroom was coming, but they just hadn't prepared for the delay. And while the party's going on, the feast has begun, they suddenly realize that they've been excluded, and it's too late. It's too late. Lord, Lord, open the door to us. Truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Now this, I realize, is a kind of a shocking thing because I think if people out there think, well, you know, if there's a God there, there's a heaven, he's just going to let everybody in. And, and this parable says that's not the case. Many will hear the words of judgment, I don't know you. Jesus knows who are his sheep and he knows who are not his sheep. He knows who have turned to trust him and to depend upon him and who've received his forgiveness and he knows those who haven't. And today, if you walk away from church as someone who's never trusted Jesus Christ and that is your settled position, then you will be excluding yourself today from the kingdom of heaven. Please do not do that. Talk to someone today. Come and talk to me. There'll be a prayer team down uh, at the front who are happy to pray about whatever issues you like to pray about, but they, they'll talk with you about that as well. Talk with someone today. Turn to Christ today. Trust him today. Receive his forgiveness today. Be prepared today. And my Christian friends, don't be discouraged that there is a delay. Jesus Christ will certainly come again. Some in this room may fall asleep before he returns. They may, he may die before he returns. Some may still be living. But a heavenly banquet it awaits all who are prepared for his coming. Those who live and die prepared for his coming. What a party is coming. The world would not end with a whimper, but with a wedding banquet. Isn't that brilliant? Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour.